listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. The mission of God is not for the Marines of the Christian faith. It's for all of us. There has been room for struggling. There has been room for your doubts since day one. When you come to God, you come bringing honestly all of your stuff to God. There's always been space for your weakness. In fact, your neediness is the pathway for Jesus to be more glorious in your life. Can you hear me, church? Can I get an amen there? Your neediness is the pathway for Jesus to become more glorious in your life. If you feel like, church, man, pastor, I'm not growing at all. How can I grow? My first question is going to be, well, what are your needs, man? How are you needy? How are you weak? How are you struggling? And are you taking that to a Jesus who cares and loves you and says, come worship me and let's work all that out? In the Christian faith, the way up is actually the way down. If dependence on Jesus is our goal, then weakness is our advantage, church. Just like these followers brought their weakness to the Lord. So what does Jesus do next? Well, King Jesus commands us to his mission. Look what verse 18 says. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, we first need to see that Jesus is simply in charge. And that's an audacious claim by Jesus. I'm in charge of all the heavens and all the earth. That's an audacious, wild claim, unless it's true. And as true, Jesus is just stating the obvious for his followers and stating the obvious for citizens' church and stating the obvious for all of eternity that, hey, whatever I'm about to say next in this commission, I have the right to say No matter how big the commission, no matter how big the command, I'm actually the authority of the universe. I have a right to say what's coming and I have a right expectation for you to obey because he's Jesus and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. On a tiny scale, it would be like the president of your company, the principal of the school you work at come in and sitting down with you and say, hey, as president, as principal, as CEO, I command you, John, to do this. Now, if you didn't obey the command, it wouldn't change the president, CEO, principal status, would it? But if you didn't obey, it might change your status. You might get fired. If they sat down and had a one-on-one that said, you need to directly do this, and they had the authority to actually say it, and the authority to have the expectation that you would obey, man, you might have a problem if you disobey. And in a real way, this is what Jesus is doing. He's gifting us this command to say, disciples, church, this is what I want you to do. And we need to understand this authority because we just don't like being commanded in our culture. It is not an American thing to be like, oh yeah, command me. We're more like, nah, I'm probably right. Um, We're about democracy. Uh, We're about individuality. Some would say the highest virtue of our culture is self-expression. We are a people who don't like being commanded. So it's important that we just recognize hey, that's just not true, that Jesus is actually a right authority to command us. 
He's in charge. We have no good ground to do anything but listen and obey Jesus as his commanded followers. Our self-expression, our no-one-tells-me-what-to-do attitude can sure lead to evil, but Jesus' commands never will. See, we fight and fight and fight for our freedom to do whatever we will, and that story never goes so well from Adam and Eve all the way down to us. But there's someone, one God, Jesus himself, that every command he ever says always leads to life. And then suddenly we see how foolish our me first can be and why Jesus has to tell us, I'm the authority and here comes my command. And the question is, how did Jesus get such authority? In one way, Jesus has always been God. Jesus is the supreme authority. The world was created through him. However, the prophecies throughout the Old Testament and numerous places in our New Testament actually teach us that Jesus receives this authority, this ultimate authority, and Philippians 2 really highlights this. Take a look at Philippians 2 with me. It says, "...in being found in the appearance as a man..." He humbled himself, this is Jesus, by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God the Father exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus, in his humble obedience to live God's mission, receives the kingdom and authority over all of heaven and all of earth. He gives this from the Father, and he gives a key to our understanding of this passage and understanding the Christian life, that the mission of God doesn't start with us, and it doesn't start with the world's needs. The mission of God starts with King Jesus and his authority in our life. Mission starts and ends with King Jesus' commands, which makes the mission always about Jesus and not about us and not about anybody else. With Jesus' authority, Jesus commands us clearly to Jesus' mission. Look at verse 19 and 20 with me. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And this commission has kind of a what, and then kind of a who and where and a how, and even a why baked into it to help us pull it apart a little bit to understand what's being said. And the commission, the what to do is Jesus is saying, I am Lord, so go make disciples. That's what the mission is. And make disciples is just one word called methuo, which means learners or followers. So specifically, Jesus is saying, go and make more followers of me, King Jesus. Well, who are we supposed to do this with? Or where are we supposed to go? And Jesus says to go in all nations, meaning everywhere that there are humans, that this is a commission and a message of the gospel, the saving news of Christ for all peoples of all times in all places. How are we to do that? Well, he says, share that gospel, baptize those who believe, and then go ahead and teach them everything that I have commanded you. 
that this process of making disciples is not, oh, and now we're done, but rather it's a lifelong journey of learning and following Jesus together. That's what you find in the New Testament. You see the beauty of the church where people have chosen to follow King Jesus, believe and be baptized and start to disciple one another and continually invite people into that life on and on and on. The Great Commission is God's mission, but it has a real result in our life that our hearts are changed and we start learning to follow everything our Lord has said. That would be the entire Bible as it's all his words. And that's what God is doing on the earth. That's how God's bringing redemption to people through his gospel. See, this gospel forms a church and fuels it into the world. It looks like this. This gospel forms this church, and it also fuels that church back into the world. And what it does is it turns around when the gospel is loose in the world, as you share the gospel, as you tell people about Jesus, it turns around and forms another church, which fuels it back into the world. It's an endless cycle of the gospel's power. That's the idea of the Great Commission is not that it's fulfilled and like, oh, I did it, check off. You get baptized once hopefully, but this, God's great mission, goes on and on and on. And the same gospel, the same Jesus that makes his church, his people, is the same gospel that motivates us into this world. Healthy churches are the key to healthy missions. When a church struggles to share their faith, they don't have a mission problem, they have a gospel problem. They don't understand the treasure they have. They don't understand the desperate need of all people. And they fail to believe Jesus' clear command to go and make disciples. Likewise, if someone loves mission but not the church, they have also missed the gospel. Because the gospel makes us love one another and forms the church itself. It cannot be divorced from one another or broken down into separate parts. It's one gospel which forms one universal church expressed in local churches that continue to push the gospel into all the world, just as faithfully God has pushed the gospel to us here in Birmingham, Alabama today. Started with a small group on this hill in Galilee and Israel and spread across generations and cultures to faithfully create this very church. We are the evidence of the Great Commission working which means we have a great responsibility to see it continue to go and go and go. And the why of the Great Commission has two parts. The why of the Great Commission first is because Jesus says so. We just talked about that. He's the king, he says so. And that is a good enough reason when you're God. For a lot of people, where my kids, they want reasons for things. I wish they would just obey every time. But when God says it, it's just enough. But the second reason is this is because some do not worship Jesus as king of this world. John Piper put it this way, missions exist because worship does not, because there are people who don't know Jesus. That's why we continue to spread the Great Commission, spread the gospel all over the world. As you read in your Bible reading plan, if you're doing that with us, in Acts 4.12, it said, by no other name is man saved under heaven, that Jesus is the only way that people can know God, be forgiven of sin and changed from the inside out. 
So we go across the street for our neighbors, but we also go across the globe for every nation. Just as God has brought the gospel to us, so we carry it onward. The gospel comes to us in order to go through us. There is a responsibility of the greatest news that we continue to take it further. And here at Citizens, we support three, I guess we call missionary units, two families, the Nashes, the O'Neills, and then we just sent Emily Jones, who will board a plane this week to head on to Asia. And to give you a sense of the need in some parts of the world, if you add the populations of India and China together, you get 2.7 billion people. That's the two most populous nations on earth. And on the most generous estimate, There's about 100 million Christians between those two countries. Quick math, about 3.7% of Indians and Christians living in those countries know Jesus. Which means if everyone were to die in an instant, 2.6 billion people would die without Christ. That is a staggering, hard-to-grip-your-mind-around number. But it's why... We spare no expense in sending and giving and praying and going to say the gospel must go because the need is gigantic. The command is clear, and this is what the gospel does in us anyways. This got driven home to me when I was spending some time in China. Um, We are in a far western territory Um, At the time, it was more like 0.5% of people were Christians, so one out of every 200 adults. And sharing was going so well, you could be very optimistic every day. People wanted to hear, wanted to talk about it, hadn't ever seen a Bible before, were eager for this information. But one day, we took a road trip. We were in a big kind of van, and I was in the back of the van. It was raining outside, and I started to see these towers just give you a sense of the packness and the enormity that long that just rose and rose down a highway that you would drive for hours. And suddenly, you do some more quick math, 20 to 30 stories, 20 to 30 people per story, somewhere between 500 and 1,000 people per tower, and you just passed well over 1,000 towers in your three-hour car ride between cities. And it started to dawn on me, that in each one of those towers, perhaps one to two families know Christ. And it started to settle on me the enormity of these numbers that are quick to say, but after spending time with people day after day and realizing that the urgent need for Jesus is so, so great, how could I not be committed to the task of spreading it? How could I not be committed to bring the gospel just as so unfaithfully brought it to me onwards. And I remember in the back of the van, Elena asked me if I was okay because I started to have a breakdown. I cried the rest of the way. I kind of sucked it up to get us into the next place. I went to my room and wept through the night and, and I couldn't get over it to finally reckon with thousands upon thousands of people that I had physically passed that may live and die without either hearing about Jesus. We must be a people
people committed to sending to obey Jesus in changing that. Not all will go, but all are called to pray, called to give, pray to support those going, and to be a people that continues to address this weighty need in our world. We must focus across the world, but the focus across the world actually grows stronger as we focus in our day-to-day. As we focus in our day-to-day in planting citizens and take care of the near, it actually helps us go much further. It helps us actually raise up healthy missionaries and be able to support them generously. That they actually aren't opposed against each other, but work together. To, do, to engage lostness here in Birmingham, which increases decade by decade, once the most Bibled city in the nation is drifted and drifted and drifted, and there's a ripe opportunity to share the gospel right here. But it leads to healthy missions everywhere else too. The gospel comes through us in order to go through us. And here's the surprise about our commander, Jesus that Jesus is our commander, but Jesus is also our great companion. And this changes everything. Look at verse 20 with me. It says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has the authority to command us, but Jesus also has the heart to go with us. Jesus, king of the universe, goes with you on mission. If you want to feel close to Jesus, engage in the risk-taking of sharing your faith, of building relationships with those who don't know Christ, of telling people about Jesus, of inviting them to group or church or anything like that, and you will be where Jesus is leading you. Because he says, lo, behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He's the king who dies with his people, rises again, and comes with his people onward in the mission. He doesn't sit in an armchair and say, you guys go. Instead, he says, I'm coming with you. In fact, this is what I'm doing in the world. If you want to be close to me, then follow me into the lostness of life. Mission is not an extra in the Christian life. It's where God wants you to be. And being with God, this access to the king of the universe, delighting in him should be the formation of your life and the fuel to continue onward. And this is where I want us to slow down and evaluate. Because instead of delighting in God, when it comes to mission stuff or church stuff, we tend to not delight and instead be either duty-driven or just do nothing. And they're kind of the ditches on either side of the road. Duty looks like this. You feel a duty to obey, to do mission, to do a church thing, whatever. Because it's a duty, you obey because of guilt. What if I don't obey? I'll feel guilty. The results are never enough, whether you succeed or not, and you end up with despair. And guess who's a great friend of despair? More duty. I'll just try harder next time. It's a great motivator for a little while, but it doesn't work long term. 
If you're someone who's experienced burnout where you just want nothing to do with Jesus or any of the things, it's not because Jesus failed you. It's probably because you let duty drive you. Duty is not the gas that's going to get you from A to B. Duty ultimately is about us and trying to solve our guilt. And that's not God's goal in the Great Commission. God's goal is for you to delight in Jesus and let that propel you into mission. The opposite of duty is this. Do nothing. This is overwhelming. This sounds hard. This is going to cost me a risk to share my faith. So I'm just going to go hide somewhere. (laughs) Or I'm going to lie or hide or make it up. So we do nothing, which leads to further apathy. Further apathy leads to atrophy of faith with shame. Atrophy is when your muscles shrink from not using them. If anyone's ever had a broken leg or a broken arm, you finally get the cast off and your arm is half its size and it's a little scary and weird. But the good news about atrophy, if you start moving your arm again, the muscles will grow back. The very same here. Maybe you've been off the boat for a while in Christianity, period. Maybe you've been off off the boat of just saying, hey, I... I, I don't do God's mission. I, I want no piece of that. Maybe you've not served in a long time. Maybe you've not belonged to anything in a long time. And apathy has become the dominant thing. And it's led to an atrophy in your life. I'm here to say this doesn't have to be the cycle forever. Just like we can get you off the duty train, we can get you off the, I guess apathy's not a train going anywhere, the apathy couch. That Jesus wants you to do this. And it's invitation in the Great Commission that he would be with us. It's delight. When we delight in Jesus, we obey in faith because we love Jesus. Delight leads to love and obedience. That's just how it works. When you delight in your spouse, you long to listen and obey. They're not your commander and Lord like Jesus is. But the things you delight in, if you love your work, you want to obey. If you love your neighborhood, you want to help out. If you love anything, suddenly being a servant to it doesn't sound like a bad idea. It sounds like the only idea. Delight in Jesus, obey by faith, and it leaves the results to God with joy. It doesn't matter if you succeed or not, because God's the one and willing and working in you. And suddenly when you succeed, there's joy. When it goes terribly and your coworker never wants to talk to you again because you invited him to church and it freaked him out, well, God's still there to comfort you. And you have no idea how that conversation will end up in their life in two years. There's a beauty in the Great Commission when God says, I'm going to be with you. It's an invitation to take him as both commander, who is good, and a companion, who will never leave you. And that's the fuel for mission into our world. Notice the intimacy and love that leads to obedience. This is Jesus's words in John 14. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. You are invited to be in a loving relationship with God where you obey out of delight 
in God himself, where you got nothing to prove, nothing to lose, but Jesus is here and with you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The motivation of mission isn't to prove yourself to God, but to delight in a God who paid for your sins. Jesus is the good commander. He's the faithful companion to be delighted in. That's the mission and the message. It's this experience of the gospel is the gas to go and spread the gospel. When people share and serve but lack the gospel, they end up bitter at their failures because it was all about their effort or puffed up in pride at their successes because once again, it was all about their effort. Or just quit because life is hard and get busy and go shopping. So Jesus is our commander. He's the companion that sticks closer to a brother. And here's my encouragement for us citizens as we reach the end of the series. We're an assembled church and we have a mission from God that's his mission. Pick up that sheet beside you. It's for 2022, Seeking the Good of Birmingham. There should be a sheet all around you. Pick it up, take a look. This is a small, simple, straightforward plan to make a difference in seeking Birmingham's good, in trusting God on mission, and delighting in him in this thing. And the first thing on there is kind of prayer with action. Bill Bright of Campus Crusade Founding put it this way. He said, talk to God about a person before you talk to the person about God. All the most fruitful evangelism of my life lives right there. They usually are long on my heart and to pray for. They, they, God has put them in our path. We pray and pray and pray. And that usually wells up. And those are the people who come to Christ over and over and over. That is how it works. That God loves whoever it is much more than you. Even if it's your mama, God loves her more than you do. And so why not talk to God about these people in prayer first? And then think of three people locally that you can actually share your faith with, that it wells up that you want to share your faith with. Here's what mine looks like. I blurred out the names on the top. It's sticking right there on my fridge. But I invite you, put it somewhere. Put it at work. Put it on your fridge. Put it somewhere where you say, hey, I'm going to trust God to pray for these people, to share my faith, to invite them into citizens, into a Sunday or a CG or just a hangout with friends or whatever it is. Most folks are going to have a hard time believing without seeing the gospel at work. The church is playing show and tell with people. Told you about the gospel? This is what it's doing. It's building a church, a church of people who love each other. You came to church and I'll tell them about the gospel too. It's like kindergarten. We're just going to play show and tell, and it's a convincing thing. Because deep down, people want to be loved, known, and embraced both by God and his people. And that's God's plan to do that through the church. Number two, I want you to lean into easy church opportunities. Uh, We had a blast last fall. We gave every community group $400 to throw whatever party they want. We're doing that again. Let's do it. Y'all, creativity is the limit. You can spend over 400. We're just reimbursing you 400. So if you want to take it to the moon, go for it. But that the reason we're throwing these block parties or any sort of parties is to have more of the people of citizens meet more of your people. Usually it takes three separate relationships with someone at a church before someone will visit. 
They need to meet three people that they feel like they could be known by or loved by. And usually it makes a plausible argument. They're like, well, why don't I go to that church? Even if they don't believe, even if they're a little anti it, suddenly there's a plausibility to them being a part of what God is doing. Another easy win. We're doing a Saturday family fun day coming up here in early April. We'll do it Saturday morning. We'll get Chick-fil-A for the entire park. We'll eat it, but also give it to absolutely everybody and invite them to come hang out. We'll have some fun. We'll have games for kids all sizes and adults all sizes. We're picking a park with a field, so it might get very competitive. So please, wear wear the gear. Let's do that. Uh We're going to have a monster Easter egg hunt the Saturday before Easter. It was a huge smash last year, and we're going to take it to the moon, because why not? In May, we'll probably do a men's night out and a women's night out to invite your unbelieving friends or your unchurched friends or people who are new to the city or whoever. And I'm telling you these, not to limit your mission, go ahead and have that friend over. But if you're just getting started with us, take the easy pitches. These are the softball pitches. Or all you got to do is show up and bring a friend and hopefully get a big swing at saying, hey, yeah, these are all my friends. These are people I know and connect other people. Cool. Take the easy wins. Fam, we can do this. Number three, share what you're delighting in. If you're doing the Bible reading plan, sometimes you get so nervous about what would I even say? Just share what you're reading that week. Sometimes we've worked ourselves up to think sharing our faith is going to be like a street fight that we need to win. And sharing your faith is more like a hug. Just share what you know. You don't need knowledge karate. You're not here to dominate anybody. They're probably not going to come to Christ the first time you ever mention Jesus. It's just a start of a bigger conversation. So if you're delighting in the Lord and delighting in the scriptures, share right from there. We're going to do some evangelism training and some apologetics this summer. That is awesome to supplement and help build your confidence. But if you look at the New Testament, People meet Jesus, come to Christ, and then share their faith immediately. You don't need 15 training courses to tell someone else about your experience and about your delighting in the scriptures. Number four, and this is the last one. It deals with the rest of your sheet. There's two sections there. And it says, serve one another, start inside the church, and work out, as Galatians 6.10 says. To live the mission to the lost, but not minister to your church family, it's hypocritical. It's saying, man, this God loves us so much, and I'm all about this. I'm all about the God I love, but I don't love my current friends all that much, but you should be a friend of God. That makes you a crazy person. Don't be that person. Be a person that says, hey, do good to all. Start with the household of faith, and then keep working your way out. Don't stop with the household of faith, but start with the household of faith. There are a bunch of awesome ways to serve. If you're in a CG, make it the best CG ever. Be the most present, active, servant person in your CG. You don't have to be the leader to be awesome at CG. You don't. Man, you could join Connect Team. You can help out with the kids team. There's all sorts of little teams running around here. I will hook you up. But man, we're a small church. We're a church plant. We are all in this together. So as I say all the time, grab your oar and let's pull together. On the flip side, I want to challenge you to find one to two places to serve in the wider world. And by that, I mean, think first your work, think your neighborhood, Think about the relationships you're already in. And if you need to say, man, I actually don't get around a lot of non-Christians, here's some other ideas. 
Maybe it's join a mom's group that's not a Christian mom's group and, and making friends there. Maybe it's having a dinner party club, but you're inviting some unbelievers that you know don't believe into that life and into that space with you. Maybe it's you have a great house and on Fridays, you just want to let it know to your friends, we're hanging out every Friday and everyone's invited. Bring your coworkers or something like that. But I hit a crisis about three years in at Sojourn, our sending church. I'd kind of risen in the pastoral team. I had, you know, the people I was working with and, and the people around me were almost all Christians. Elena was crushing me at evangelism and I am super competitive. So I said, Lord, I, I barely know an unbeliever outside of like my neighbors and, and we're talking and hanging with them and inviting them over. But Lord, I need to increase kind of, my population of people who don't know Jesus. I'm, I'm so inside this, this mega church. And so I, I made two decisions and they're some of the best decisions I could have made. The first decision, I said, I'm gonna hang out with Arab refugees who've been welcomed into America to the city of Louisville. And as I got to start to hang out with these families, I met David and Ashrock and they're a wonderful family. And after a while, they all came to faith in Christ the adults and start leading their kids. And they blessed me tremendously getting to know their sweet family, family who knew almost no one in America that was learning English and growing. And it became a beautiful time to meet more friends through them, but also just to be in the joy of these people who had found their hope and their savior as they, flee, as they had fled from ISIS in Northern Iraq. Second decision was an easy one. I joined my neighborhood board. In my neighborhood board, I was in a super post-Christian area. So me, I got elected to the board. I was there. I realized I was the youngest person there by a solid 20 years. And the board hated each other. They just bickered and fought incessantly. And so I just thought like, Lord, how am I witness here? I'm like, well, what if I was just kind and gentle and listened? And over time, they're like, what, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a pastor at this church. Oh, we hate that church. I go, oh, Why? And they're like, well, I don't know. They don't believe what we believe. I'm like, well, do you think we hate you because of that? They're like, yeah. I'm like, what if I told you we didn't? That we actually loved you. And do you want to come to dinner too? And it weirded people out, but then I made a bunch of friends. <laughs> and in two decisions, you could be in relationships with tons of people who don't believe yet. We think we have to do this amazing big thing and it's probably just one or two steps towards your coworkers, opening up your home, maybe getting to know some new people that you haven't met yet. And you can do this. You can live God's mission with God as our good commander and our faithful companion who will never leave us, even if we blow it over and over and over. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhn.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.